Welcome to another episode of Behind the Stigma. This podcast was created to discuss the many popular beliefs and preconceptions surrounding mental disorders and some of its controversies. We will be exploring the question, how much of mental health is rightfully diagnosed or are we simply creating stigmas? Each episode will uncover topics close to my heart with our clinical psychologist as well as our special guest speakers. I hope you'll find these discussions as valuable and as insightful as I did uncovering them. Hey, and welcome back, everyone, to Behind the Stigma. I'm Ciara Manova, your host, here with our clinical psychologist, Elina Vasilake, and today's discussion is on cognitive distortions. So, put simply, cognitive distortions in psychology or psychotherapy refers to exaggerated or irrational thought processes, usually which have a negative bias towards the thought, which Alina will explain later on in the episode. So they are habitual thinking we have formed set on certain beliefs that's ingrained in us. Cognitive distortions were originally identified when screening depressed patients and their thoughts, but it has now been extended to many other mental health issues like anxieties and eating disorders, to name a few. Today, Alina will define some of these types of systematic errors in thinking, which are the distortions, and how it relates to the conceptual framework of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, the form of therapy where it originates from, and how she helps deal with them in her therapy. Hey, Alina. Hello, everybody. I'm so happy to be here again. I feel like a student waiting for the questions from you because I think the public (laughs) should know that we don't really prepare this in advance. And I love the topic of today. So let's see. Thanks so much. I think cognitive distortions are such an interesting and important topic because we technically don't realize we are doing them or even that they exist for that matter until we're aware of it. Can you tell us where cognitive distortions come from and its origins? It would be quite difficult to explain the exact origin because of a surviving mechanism that is the strongest mechanism our brain has we tend, our mind tends to be very biased towards negativity. So in general, it's very well known in psychology and and neurology, and it's very well studied that our mind will tend to go towards negativity somehow. So we remember better negative events in life with more details. We will always pay more attention to negative stimulus or to negative experiences. So somehow, I guess one part that has to do with the cognitive distortions or cognitive mistakes or mistakes in our thinking patterns, to simplify a little bit the term, has to do with this tendency of our mind to go towards negativity. On the other hand, we always link the cognitive distortions to early previous life experiences. So automatically, when we go through an experience, even if that experience happens early in life, we will get a certain conclusion. And based on that conclusion, we shape our Mm. thinking, right? And, And again, I'm talking about early life experiences that can start in childhood where the brain is not really yet formed. So we will have a very uh, infantile brain that will place an interpretation of a certain event. And based on that, it's almost as if we would set a new filter in our thinking. So I would say it's a combination between these two aspects that give us the cognitive mistakes. So from what I'm understanding, there's kind of a clear pattern We go through a particular situation, and then as the situation happens, we interpret it in a way that we perceive the situation, and then we feel something, 
as a result of it, which then comes out in our behavior. I once read a sentence uh, from a book which really stuck with me, and it said, when you change the way you think, you can change the way you feel. What is the relationship between our thoughts, emotions, and behavior? And I guess this is kind of the framework of how cognitive behavioral therapy works, which maybe you can talk a little bit about. When we talk about psychotherapy, I think the main approach in psychotherapy is cognitive behavior therapy. We all heard about it. You know, the basic idea of this approach is the fact that it's it's almost like I want you all to imagine a triangle. And outside this triangle, we have the event, the life event. So let's say there is a negative life event that we go through or whatever the life event will be. And what in response to that event, what we first realize or experience is our emotion, right? And most of the times incorrectly, we believe that the event itself is giving us the emotion. But through the cognitive behavior therapy, we teach people that actually it's not the event that is giving us the emotion, it's our own interpretation of that event that will give us the emotion. So if we go back to the, Mm. you know, imaginary triangle that I'm telling you to to have in your mind, Mm. it's the event outside the triangle, from this event, I place an interpretation. I see it in a certain way. I use one of these filters, thinking filters. So it's a thought, a negative thought about that event. That negative thought will give me a negative emotion. And that negative emotion automatically will give me a negative reaction or a certain behavior. And this can go on because from mm-hmm. that behavior, from that reaction, I can go back into having another negative thought. So let, let me put it into an example. Let's say that I receive a bad mark at a very important exam. This is the life event. Yeah. My interpretation can be, I will fail in my life. I will never be able to have a job. I will never be able to progress in my life. I'm a disaster kind of thing. Yeah, this is one of the cognitive distortions that Mm -hmm. we will talk about later. Of course, if I place this interpretation, what will be my emotion? Most likely anxiety and sadness, right? And because of that emotion, my body will respond Mm -hmm. to that with specific symptoms of anxiety or sadness. Yeah, I'll feel shaky. I will feel restless. I will feel sweaty, whatever, whatever. Because I'm feeling those reactions in my body, I might go back and say, clearly, clearly I'm a failure. Clearly I cannot, you know, I cannot cope with situations in life. So this is one option. But another person that does not place the same filter, the same cognitive distortions, might go through the same situation. They get the same bad mark for that exam. But they might say, ah, this is not really important. Mm -hmm. Good. Next time I'll just, you know, try my best and I'll do it again. It's not a big deal right? What will be the emotion that will come with that thought? Probably they'll keep calm. They'll be okay. There's no sadness. There's acceptance. And as a reaction in their body, they'll feel relaxed and calm. And as a secondary thought probably will Mm be, I can cope with this type of situations. So that's the connection between the thoughts and the emotions and the reaction in our body. Now, sometimes there's a dispute there in psychology, which one is first? Is it the actual symptom of the emotion that comes first? So the physiological reaction Mm. of our body that gives us the emotion or is the other way around is the emotion that gives us the physiological reaction? Mm, Really, we cannot know for sure. 
But what's the mo- what is very well known is the fact that the way we will filter an experience, the way we will, you know, the interpretation we will place on a, a specific event in life, that will give us the emotion. Yeah. I think that's an interesting debate in psychology known as the James Lang theory, as you mentioned, where you try to understand if we, you know, for example, feel our pulse racing and sweating, and then we get nervous, or do we get nervous, and then it has a bodily reaction. And it's just something interesting to think about. Let's actually talk about the different types of cognitive distortions. I think originally, there were six thinking styles, right, which was defined by Aaron Beck, who is the founder of cognitive behavioral therapy. But then they were later extended to many more cognitive errors by David Burns. And we've got a whole bunch of them here, and I might list a couple. So for example, there's all or nothing thinking, catastrophizing, overgeneralization, magnification, mind reading. The list is quite extensive. So of course, we won't be going through all of these, at least not in this episode. But Alina, why don't you pick out maybe three or four distortions which you have experienced to be most common in your practices with patients, regardless of the type of situation or issue? And then maybe we can go into some actual examples later as well. There are a lot of names for these cognitive distortions. In any case, most of them, you know, some of them are very specific for people that will be predisposed towards developing anxiety disorders and some others for people that will be predisposed to develop depression, or both of them, obviously, because there are some people that will have both distortions. They will use both distortions. So in that case, they'll be predisposed to experience both anxiety and depression. So let's see. Catastrophizing is basically the mind in a specific situation will throw us into the worst possible scenario of that situation. Yeah, So we're imagining or we believe that the worst possible thing will happen. Let's say that a little bit like uh, what I did before in my example. I took a bad, I receive a bad mark in an exam and I, my mind automatically tells me that I will never have a career or I'll never have a job, right? That's catastrophizing. So I go at the extreme. My mind takes me at the extreme of the worst possible scenario. Believe it or not, behind this is that incorrect belief that people have that if I think about the worst possible scenario, then I'm prepared for everything <laughs> that might happen. So again, is that surviving mm. mechanism that's so strong in us that probably is at the origin of this distortion? It's very incorrect to think. Imagine if we, if we place this interpretation in everything we go through in life. Obviously, what you will experience mm. is a generalized anxiety. And, in, and catastrophizing is very typical cognitive distortion for people with generalized anxiety. Another one that I will take Mm -hmm. there, also related to anxiety, mind reading. And mind reading will be assuming that we know what others are thinking, usually about us, because we all very focus Mm -hmm. on on us, right? On ourselves. So is this tendency to constantly put effort into figuring out what others think about us, how they see us, Mm -hmm. how they will react, This is called mind reading because it's not accurate. We cannot ever know what others are thinking. Even us as psychologists, we cannot allow our mind to go into mind reading because I will never know what my patients are thinking. I can ask (laughs) or I can, you know, get answers, but Mm -hmm. I should not uh, allow my mind to do this mind reading. Again, this is very common for people that will develop social anxiety. So another cognitive distortion would be compare and despair. 
for example. And this one is the tendency that we have to see only the good and positive aspects in others and comparing ourselves negatively against them. It's a very common one for people that will actually suffer from anxiety and low mood and sadness, right? Because it's a very biased comparison. That's why it's called compare and despair. It will always take us towards negative concept about ourselves because it's a biased comparison we will never be able to have an accurate Mm -hmm. one to do an accurate comparison we'll always have the tendency to compare to people that are better than us or to people that are fitting our ideal and that is a biased comparison right Mm -hmm. and in general we'll be very present in people that suffer from eating disorder negative self-image negative self-concept and and inferiority complexes so these are the few that, um, there, there are others, of course, and we can mention them later on, but these are my three examples. So I noticed that you were mentioning a lot about anxiety and social anxiety in relation to sadness and depression. So I do want to ask this question, do all people who have cognitive distortions have a mental disorder? I just think it's important to understand whether this is something that people do on a day-to-day basis perhaps without a clinical diagnosis, or if it's actually more common when, you know, you've been diagnosed with some form of a mental health issue. Yeah, it's a very good point, actually, to to clarify. So these are universal cognitive mistakes. We can all definitely do some of them and not develop clinical disorder, right? Because it's a clinical Mm -hmm. disorder at the end of the day is about the severity of certain symptoms and the impact that it has in our life. We can, so many people, they will have uh, different, and they will use different cognitive distortions, but not actually develop a clinical disorder. Definitely the other way around, if I think about it, the people that do develop a clinical disorder, anxiety or depression or others, they will for Mm -hmm. sure have some clinical distortions. So when we deal with these cases in therapy, we'll always look for them and we'll always work on them. Just the clinical distortions are not on themselves alone giving us directly a clinical disorder. No, it gives us the predisposition or, Mm -hmm. you know, we become more vulnerable. If we constantly place these filters, we definitely go towards, we can go towards developing a clinical disorder, but it's not the only factor that will automatically put us in this category. I want to put this in theory, like you mentioned previously, into practice. How about we take two examples or scenarios of how one would behave in a setting? And maybe I can give you two and then you can identify what type of distortion these are and then how one deals with them, but also how one kind of could deal with them. So let's say, for example, for the first one, you're stuck in traffic and you're late to a meeting. I think this is kind of a more general example. We've all been stuck in traffic. So how would you identify the situation? The negative life event clearly is I'm stuck in traffic, right? That's a negative event Mm -hmm. I'm going through. I'm stuck in traffic can be, we can, depends on how I see that situation. So catastrophizing would be a person Mm -hmm. that um, uses catastrophe, that will catastrophize in this situation would say what? Would say, I'm late to work, I'm going to be late to work, and they're going to fire me. I'm going to lose my job, and I'm going to be poor for the rest of my life. Yeah, we can Mm -hmm. see that extreme in the interpretation of the situation, right? Clearly, Mm -hmm. that filter, that mental filter that we place there will, will give me a lot of anxiety, in such a simple common situation as I'm stuck in traffic, right? 
So that could be yes. catastrophizing. Let me say that another person will do critical self. I did not mention this cognitive distortion. It's another cognitive distortion. Critical self, putting ourselves down, self-criticism, blaming ourselves for events and situations that are not totally our responsibility. So again, back to your example, I'm stuck in traffic. I can start shouting at myself and say, uh, how silly of me. Uh, why I didn't wake up uh, an hour earlier, look at what I'm doing, now I'm stuck in traffic, it's all my fault, it's all my fault, right? So when Mm -hmm. actually I don't have responsibility over how the traffic is that morning, right? The critical self distortion will always give us anxiety, yeah, similarly. It can be another person that will go into mind reading, again, because I've mentioned mind reading before, and it can go into thinking what my boss will say when he will see that I'm late. He'll mm-hmm. say that, uh, oh, this person is not responsible. I cannot trust this person. I better not work with this person. So I start, you know, really put in my mind what I believe that my boss will think. So that mm-hmm. would be a mind reading, which obviously will give me anxiety as well. So I'm just putting myself in this context right now. And I think I would definitely go into the mind reading mode. My kind of question to you is, isn't it to an extent correct? I mean, I assume that if someone is late, I'm even putting myself in that person's shoes. If someone I'm meeting is late, I would get annoyed. So to an extent, this mind reading may or may not be correct. Again, I think this is where your expertise comes in. So am I Right now, mind reading to assume that, you know, the person would be 100% mad or pissed off? Or is this kind of thinking still incorrect? Well, it is incorrect the moment you you said 100%, because that 100% (laughs) will never be uh, accurate. Maybe, you know, the the most uh, realistic interpretation that you can have there is 50% this, 50% this. Mm -hmm. But again, mind reading, imagine a person can react or think so many different things, right? Let's say that one day you are late at one of my sessions. You'll be Mm -hmm. very panicked and you will think, oh my God, Alina will think that I'm not taking the therapy seriously. Alina will think that I'm not uh, responsible enough. She will not, uh, you know, be so nice to me or she will take away her. This is catastrophizing already, yeah? (laughs) It's a little bit of a mixture between my reading and catastrophizing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my patients do it, actually. Yeah, they, they come and just because they're late, they're so you know, panicked. And sometimes, yes, I am bothered by the fact that they're late because then I cannot really have the time to work properly with them or because I have another patient waiting after. But guess what? Some mm. of the times I actually say, oh, thankfully, this person is late, is late <laughs> gives me time to relax for a little bit. <laughs> mm. Now, would your mind <laughs> tell ever tell you this ever, this option that Alina might actually be happy that I'm five minutes late because she will take the day? <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. So you definitely not know exactly how the other person is thinking. You cannot. Mm. Let's get a second scenario. And I think this is also quite a common one. So let's say you text a friend and a friend didn't text you back. And we can change that context of a friend to someone you like, a partner, a job opportunity that you're waiting for. You get the idea. But that is the initial situation. A friend didn't text you back. So a friend didn't text you back. Obviously, it's a negative event. We can put it as a negative event because, you know, we would like it to be different. Mm -hmm. So again, I could think about 
catastrophizing again. This person will never talk to me again, or this person doesn't care about me at all. They don't love me. They don't want to know about me. It's clearly catastrophizing. But again, my reading a little bit as well, it's a mixture because I'm imagining I know what the other person is thinking. It can also be a little bit of black and white thinking, dichotomous thinking, which again, we did not explain. So black and white thinking is believing that something or or someone can be only good or bad, right or wrong. Um, There's no shades Mm -hmm. of gray. So you, you filter a situation with only the extremes. So again, my friend didn't text me back. It means that I'm not friends with this person anymore. So I dropped the friendship completely. Yeah, I go to the extreme of... I shouldn't be friends. We shouldn't be friends at all. It can also be judgments. So judgments is another cognitive distortion. It's making evaluations or judgments about events, ourselves, others, the world in general, rather than just describing what we actually see and, and what we have evidence for. So you, you step a little mm-hmm. bit out of the facts. So here, judgments would be you jump automatically at judging the other person. They, they're so selfish, they don't even bother to answer. Clearly, they're, mm. uh, you know, he's a bad person, he or she is a bad person, and so on and so on. So you jump at making judgments. Judgments, mm. actually, it's a cognitive distortion that makes us vulnerable towards developing depression and low mood. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. How could one work through these thought processes? I know that you do them in therapy a lot, obviously. But if we have to kind of simplify it to, you know, someone who's listening and me and kind of help us understand or notice these unhelpful thoughts, how would one work through these or at least try to practice to not go into these distortions? They're very clear steps and it's not that hard, actually. Some some people might think, oh my God, you're asking me to change the way I think. How am I going to really change all my thoughts, right? It, it sounds like it's a it's a huge task and a difficult one. But actually, it's not. So again, it starts with what? It starts with being aware of the fact that this type of, these patterns of thinking are incorrect. So number one is being aware and identifying them. So what I work uh, at the beginning with a lot, I, of course, from the beginning, give feedback to my patients that, okay, these are the cognitive distortions. We learn about them. Then we start working on the awareness. I make them, I like to, to, to say it like this, I'll make you an expert at detecting your cognitive distortions. Each person mm-hmm. has their own, so the tendency to to use more of a few of them, not all of them. So we really analyze what are the typical cognitive distortions of that person, and that person learns how to detect them and how to basically call them out. Yeah, I even tell them name name it when you notice that you're doing one of these cognitive distortion. Name it, put the name on it. This is a mind reading what I'm doing right now, and I know it's a mistake that will only give me as a result anxiety. Yeah, so the moment you have this knowledge and you start practicing a little bit how to detect them, you will start noticing them at every step that you <laughs> take actually. And it's then yeah. when people realize how much they filter their reality through these mistakes. Once we've done that part and once the person learns how to detect them, we practice and the practice starts in session and then they do it on their own and it becomes automatic quite fast, I would say. But then I teach them how to change these cognitive distortions into helpful thoughts. Yeah, And I will not say Mm -hmm. realistic thoughts because sometimes what's real is not helpful in a specific situation, but I teach them and I guide them how to constantly change their cognitive distortions or unhelpful thoughts into helpful thoughts. 
And again, mm -hmm. that sounds like a big, big effort, but it's not that difficult. And it, it becomes automatic quite fast because the brain, again, has this plasticity. So you'll develop with the practice in session and then on your own, you'll develop neuropaths that reinforce yeah. more and more this new type of thinking. And at the beginning, this is done on paper. So I give them specific thought records, they are called. So we do it first on paper to kind of push them at the beginning into paying attention to this. But then it becomes automatic and no writing is needed anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of the, the work that is done in cognitive behavior therapy. What kind of a thought would be a helpful thought? So uh, the one I'm stuck in the traffic, I'll be late. Yes, I will be late, but nothing will happen. It's not such an important, it's not such a big deal to be late. Or a lot of people can get late. Or if I'm facing this traffic, other people can face similar traffic. If mm -hmm. I'm late, I'll just say I'm sorry and, you know, I will be believed and I'll make it up in other situations and I'll prove myself in other situations that I'm actually punctual. These are, all of them are helpful thoughts, right? Because they're calming thoughts. They're thoughts that take away the anxiety. anxiety and the fear of such a simple situation mm -hmm. as being late or being stuck in traffic. The other one, my friend is not texting me back. You can easily have a helpful thought. Maybe my friend is busy and he'll get back to me whenever he can, he or she can. Or maybe they're just not in the mood or they, they're just too tired now. Or is their right mm -hmm. not to answer if they don't want to? doesn't mean anything about me, right? So look, it yeah. doesn't matter what thought you're placing because here we're not talking about what's the what is the realistic somehow people get very stuck in the in placing realistic thoughts here it's not a matter of placing a realistic thought it's a matter of placing a helpful thought because what i'm trying to control or to change is my mood or is my emotion right mm. And the kind of take home message i feel from this is that we don't have to accept every thought that goes through our brain as the fundamental truth. So when we have, you know, distressing thoughts, it can be helpful to consider if we might be telling ourselves the full truth about a situation like you mentioned. And I think identifying this can actually help us understand that there's parts of us that are holding us back from maybe reaching our full potential because of these ingrained cognitive distortions. And like you mentioned, once we realize this, Once we realize we're doing this, I think that's a very powerful tool to have for our self-development. It's good that you're mentioning this because I always tell my people in therapy, don't let your mind control you. The mind should be like a tool. You are using your mind. Be on top of your mind. Because again, if we if we just let your mind do whatever it wants kind of thing and you, you're not observing mm -hmm. constantly your mind, it will take us towards that negativity that I was talking about at the beginning of the of this recording. The mind will go towards negativity in a way or another. So you kind of always have to be very on top of your own mind. And you have to bring it back to the positivity. We actually have to, in our life, if, if we think about it, we have to constantly make a tiny effort to bring our thinking towards positivity. By default, it will not stay into positivity. It tends to go towards negativity. Yeah, especially the people that Very have been true. through hard situations in their life, especially people that haven't practiced the positive thinking. So you need to be on top of your mind. Don't relax with this. Try to always, you are using your mind and you deciding what your mind is doing. Don't let your mind decide for you. 
Alina, thank you so much for this insightful information and being a part of this episode once again. Always my pleasure. I'm so happy to have the opportunity to share all this knowledge because I think, you know, I, I hope my explanations are reaching a lot of people, even people that have never had any contact or connection with uh, psychology. And that's why I like to keep our, you know, conversations very simple and very, you know, based on simple examples. Mm. Um, because uh, I'm, I'm hoping that this will reach out to people that uh, maybe they don't even know about therapy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in as well, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Thank you.